ask you to take a Bible, if you will, and turn to the uh, well-known uh, Christmas passage in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 is page 553 in these Bibles in the pews. Before I read uh, from the book of Ecclesiastes, um, this coming Wednesday uh, marks 25 years since uh, this congregation called me to be your pastor and Barbara, on behalf of Barbara and myself, and I want to thank you for the interest and care you've shown not just to me and her, but for our children and even our grandchildren. It's it's been a privilege uh, to serve the Lord here with you and to continue to do so here at at First Presbyterian Church. Last year, I, I, well, for several years, have been a part of a small group on Wednesday nights with about 10 guys all younger than I am, of course, and we, uh, we study the Bible sometimes, sometimes we study books, sometimes we just talk under the guise of doing Bible study. But last year we studied a book on the book of, the, of Ecclesiastes, a book by David Gibson, an excellent book entitled Living Life Backwards. And he says of the book of Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes is one of God's gifts to help us live in the real world, uh, the real world. Now, most people have not read all of Ecclesiastes. If they know anything about it, they know the passage that, that is read, and that's the, uh, a time for everything, time to reap and a time to sow, so forth. And they know the opening verse or two, which is vanity of vanities, all is vanity. But we fail to understand the fuller meaning of the book. So I want to begin reading just the first uh, 11 verses And then I want to turn and read the very last two verses of the entire book. So hear God's word. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. That's that's Solomon. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It it has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. Now, if you will, leave your finger there on that page, because we'll come back to it, but just turn over a few pages to 559. And the 12th chapter, which is the last chapter, and the last two verses say, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Children love to imagine and play imaginary stories. They they play less pretend, less pretend that we're at the zoo, or less pretend we're playing house, or less pretend we're on a farm. 
And adults, not only, not only children, but also adults can live in imaginary worlds. We find ours perhaps with, with movies or with television or with reading fiction or a thousand other ways. And yet the book of Ecclesiastes says, let's be real. Let's take a, a, a real look at life and look at reality. And so right off the bat, in the verses I read, especially verse 2, Solomon says, he gives the theme of basically what's going to be in the book. And the theme is vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is preacher, uh, all is vanity. Now the Hebrew word for vanity there is a term that means breath or a breeze. And so Solomon was saying that all of life is like a mist it's like a vapor or a puff of wind. Now, that's a common biblical idea. We see that in the New Testament, to, to see that life is like a vapor, not as though it is an, as insignificant as a vapor that's here for a moment and then gone, but that life is so transient that we are here for one moment and then gone, it would seem. And so it's a common biblical idea that our lives are brief. And Solomon is saying this because he found it out by experience. He had firsthand experience with the things he's going to talk about that he chased after trying to give himself satisfaction and to make his life have meaning or where he felt it had meaning. He says in verses nine, 8 and 9, All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, what has been done is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun. When someone says, hey, there's something brand new, this is new, this is the latest and greatest, there's never been anything like it. Don't get excited. That's not the case. It's the same old story. And I love the way he says, no matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are never content. Now, I am fortunate to have a son who worked at Best Buy for a number of years, and he truly understands electricity, and he keeps up. If you need your remotes control, he's, re he's programmed half the remotes in this church, I think, at your houses. But uh, we, years ago, put a surround sound system in our house. And many of you have been to our house, and you see this surround. It started small. It started with me saying, hey, let's move into the 21st century and get a 42-inch 720p uh, television set. Weighed about 200 pounds at that time. Now they're about a pound each. And so we got that and immediately said, well, it doesn't sound right. Well, we've got to take this thing to the next level. And so we started getting these speakers and went from two to four to seven. We ran the wires under the house. It's, we've got wooden floors. I mean, it sounds, it sounds, why go to the theater? That's what people say when they hear it sometimes at our house. Now, when you go, you get, say, okay, I, what, what am I going to do? I need, I need a surround sound for this. So you go to the store, you do your research, and you, and you, you buy this sound bar in this little woofer like that. And, and just about when you've decided, okay, I'm going to spend this amount of money, it's all I've got, this, the salesman goes, hey, now listen, if you want to take this thing to the next level, you're going to have to add to these woofers and get some tweeters. And you're going to have to get not four speakers, you're going to have to get seven speakers and all that. And you say, well, really? Yeah. So you've got, you got these woofers, you've got these tweeters, you get up there to check out. And the person says, you know what? If you really want to make this thing good, you need a good flat screen to go with it. Like, how big? Well, the latest thing is 40 feet. It's 40 feet. You've got to go to the end of the block to see it. But, I mean, it's, it's a killer flat panel. You get that. So, okay, you get the, you've got the killer flat panel, you've got the speakers, and you get up there and they say... 
And, and you get it, and you go home, and you have a friend comes by and said, oh, you got HD. Yeah, I, I got HD. You didn't get ultra-high definition? You didn't get UHD? 4K? No, what's that? Oh, oh, I mean, it's the latest and the greatest. You got to get that. So you go and you get UHD. And then another friend comes over and says, you didn't get UHD 3D? Three, yeah, three-dimensional. Where you, I mean, you get to put the goggles on, and I mean, it's like you're in the picture right there. And you say, no, all right, so you go, you get the 3D, so you've got the surround sound, you've got the, the 40-foot panel, you've got the... You've got the UHD and the 3D and, the, and, and a thousand satellite channels coming in and you text a friend and say, I'm bored. <laughs> and we're not only bored, it seems like we're depressed. And so Solomon said that he had done all this. He had pursued these things. And he had, one of the things he chased after that, after this pleasure was, he said that I'm going to chase after knowledge and wisdom. So in verse 13 of chapter 1, he said, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And now that's a lofty goal. We know that God gave Solomon wisdom that was beyond any person who's lived before or since except for Christ. And yet he also pursued knowledge. Some of you have pursued knowledge. You have graduate degrees. You're working on graduate degrees or you read all the time. And you, per, you pursue knowledge. And maybe there's a thinking, if I just get to this level with my knowledge, then there'll be some sort of fulfillment, some sort of satisfaction. I'll have greater wisdom than anyone else. Now, now on my big flat panel with the surround sound, I've watched all the Jason Bourne movies. I mean, now there's a guy who's smart. I mean, he's in Germany, he speaks German. He's in Russia, he speaks Russian. If he's in France, he speaks French. If he's in Alabama, he speaks Southern. I mean, wherever he is, he's got their language down. And I think that's impressive. Well, Solomon was regarded as the wisest man on the face of the earth. People came from far away to observe his wisdom. The queen of Sheba came, and after she observed it, she said, it's not half what people say about it. You're twice as wise and knowledgeable. And yet, we see in verse 17 of chapter 1, he said, I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. He says, the answer is not found in the pursuit of knowledge and wisdom as commendable as those things are. They cannot fulfill our lives. So beginning in chapter 2, he tried some other things. So then he says, I thought in my heart, verse 1 of chapter 2, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Let's just give pleasure a try. Just live for the party. Go out there and party. Maybe that's what some of you have experienced. Maybe you know what it's like to live for the weekend, to live for the next big event, the next social event, the next party. You know what the problem with that is? You spend a lot of time waiting. You're just waiting till it happens, kind of like going to some of these theme parks now, the amusement park. The ride lasts like, what, three and a half seconds, and you wait two hours, and now you get these signs and they say, from this point, your wait will be three months before you're there where you want to be. And so we spend a lot of time waiting. And maybe you felt that way. Maybe you know what it's like to be at a party or a gathering, and you're laughing and joking and talking, and inside you think, this is awful. This is bad. I am so empty. I don't care for any of these people, and I don't think any of these people care for me. Why is life so meaningless? Well, because you can leave God out of the equation. And that's what Solomon had done. 
And so he says in in chapter 2, verse 2, I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? There are people today who try and escape their troubles just through laughing, through humor and comedy. Perhaps you've heard the old story of the distraught and miserable man who went to see a psychiatrist to try to help him with his discouragement and his sadness and his continual misery. And the doctor, after listening to him, said, you know, you just need to lighten up. You need to forget about all your problems. In fact, there's this comedian down at the local comedian comedy club performing right now, and he has everybody in stitches. And I think what would really help you is go down and listen to this guy, and he'll take your mind off your troubles. And to which the man responded with a groan, I am that comedian. Solomon says then in chapter 2, verse 3, well, okay, if, if pleasure didn't work, and... Uh, these other things didn't work. I tried cheering myself with wine, so I thought I'll give alcohol a try. I'll just get high on, on wine, and I'll drink my troubles away and not think about it. And like a number of you, probably, uh, I grew up close and personal with alcohol. It played a prominent place in my family line. Ironically, in, after seeing so much destruction uh, in, as a child, in my extended family, I, I started following the same pattern in middle school and high school. My friends and I, we'd go out to drink, but the only purpose was to get drunk, and it always ended up in some kind of fight or trouble with the police. So Solomon says, I'm going to try knowledge. It's not there. I'm going to try pleasure. It's not there. I'm going to try laughing all the time. It's not there. I'm going to get high. No, it's not there. I know I'll just build a bunch of stuff. I mean, he was rich. He was a king. So in chapter 2, verse 4, he said, I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards. I designed gardens and parks. I had slaves, and I owned more herds and flocks than anyone else. I had singers, women. He had it all, but he was still empty. A few years ago, I, I read and then told you about uh, an interview with Simon Cowell, the well-known television producer, entrepreneur, television personality, you know Simon Cowell, he's been a judge on such shows as Britain's uh, X Factor, Britain's Got Talent, American Idol, America's Got Talent. Cowell has been named by Time Magazine as one of the most hundred influential people alive today. Anyway, the article was an interview with, with Simon Cowell at his home in California, and here's what the article said, quote, Simon's new Beverly Hills home is actually very, very clean and very black and white so much that even the imposing gates which shield the $24 million mansion are black and so highly polished that you can see your face in them. Simon loves to laugh. He loves to be entertained. He hates to be bored. He has a television in his bathroom where he watches old cartoons. He says they put him in a good mood and make him laugh out loud. The staff that he has there take care of him. Then he has his guest house, his spa, his pool, his home theater, and a garage which houses his Bugatti, his Rolls Royce, his Bentley Azure, and his Ferrari. He has all the plants shipped in from Palm Springs and sculptures and water features and so forth. It sounds like Solomon. That was not part of the quote. So here is the question. Is Simon Cowell, this wealthy, influential, successful man, happy? And in the, in the interview, back to the quotation, he said, I get in very dark moods for no reason. Nothing in particular brings it on. You can be having the best time of your life, and all of a sudden you are utterly, totally miserable. 
He says, I am a wandering asteroid without a home. I get to the point to where I think I'm never going to be happy. Someone said to me recently, you are like a human buffet table. Everyone comes and takes something from you, and at the end, there's nothing left. Wow, there's nothing new under the sun, is there? Solomon said it years ago, Simon Cowell more recently. So what is the answer? What do we do? The answer is not found in the things of this life, if it's not in pleasure or possessions or all these other things, experience. The answer is found in a relationship with God. You and I and all people were created to have a relationship with God. And from the moment we were born, you have been on a quest. Now, it hadn't necessarily been a quest for God. You've been on a search to know that there is something more. C.S. Lewis said, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world the fact that we cannot be satisfied in this world. The Bible says God has placed eternity in our hearts. So Solomon concludes, and this is why I wanted us to read the last two verses together of the book, and to reread them, that's the sum of the matter. We read the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God, Keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So that's the final word, Solomon says. Fear God and do what he tells us to do. That's it. And eventually God will bring everything out in the open and he will judge it according to its hidden intent and judge it as to whether it's good or bad. And Solomon throughout the book is saying, Listen, I'm a seasoned pro. If you leave God out of the picture... Your life will be empty, and it will be meaningless, and it will be futile. You want to live a life of purpose, he says? Fear God. Now, that doesn't mean to live in terror. It means to reverence God, to honor God. It means come to the conclusion that God knows what he's talking about, that if he tells us to do something, it's for our own good. If he tells us not to do something, it's for our own good. Well, why should I fear God? Solomon says, because one day, one day, it's all going to come into the open. This is the coming final judgment. The Bible says that there will come a day that you and I are going to stand before God and we will be held accountable for every thought, word, and deed. But here's the bottom line. None of us, none of us on our own can stand the test. Nobody can stand the test. Sometimes you hear people say, well, if there is a heaven, it's a place for good people. I try to be good. Listen, heaven is not a place for good people. It is a place for forgiven people. Because none of us are good enough. The question is, are we forgiven? And that's where Jesus comes in, that we are sinful people in need of a Savior. And Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood so that we could be forgiven in every sin to be forgiven of every sin we've ever committed. He said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen, God has what you are looking for. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. We definitely live in a culture and in a world, though, that says that fulfillment comes from doing the very thing Solomon says can't fulfill us. It's pursue possessions, it's pursue experience 
It's to live for pleasure, just laugh your problems away, get high, whatever it may be. I mean, we're surrounded by that. And followers of Christ look like losers. And that this is just not where there's real life. But time will tell. I've told you before, a few years ago, I I read the biography of a man named Boo Ferris. It's called Boo, A Life in Baseball Well Lived. Who is he? I have a friend named Tim Starnes who pastors in Cleveland, Mississippi. Pastors a church there, and Cleveland is the home of Delta State University. And there was an elder in the church named Boo Ferris, David Boo Ferris. Boo was his nickname because he couldn't pronounce brother when he was a baby, and so they called him Boo. And he passed away in November of 2016, about two years ago. And he was a sports legend in the whole state of Mississippi. And that's because he was the first man to receive a full scholarship to play baseball for Mississippi State University. He had a stellar college career. He was drafted and played professionally for the Boston Red Sox. He had a great pro career. His roommate was Ted Williams. He was a pitcher. And then after several years in the major leagues, he suffered an injury that could be repaired now in probably 10 minutes in his shoulder. But at that time, it was a career ender. And so it ended his professional career. He went back to Cleveland. He became the head coach of the baseball team at Delta State. And during that time, he had the distinction of being the coach who cut John Grisham from the Delta State baseball team. John Grisham writes the foreword to Boo Ferris's biography. It's worth getting the book just to read that foreword by John Grisham. Anyway, here's where I'm going with this. Boo Ferris, Coach Ferris, said one day he was walking in downtown Cleveland. There's not much of a downtown Cleveland, tiny little delta town in, in Mississippi. He's walking down, and these boys are playing baseball. And he's a well-known figure, and he knew one of the boys in the outfield, and the, and the boy yelled at him, Hey, Mr. Boo! Mr. Boo was waving at him, and he looked out at him and, and smiled at him and said, said, uh, what's the score? And the kid yelled back, thought for a minute, and said, 18, 18 to nothing. It's 18 to nothing. He said, your favor or their favor? He said, oh, it's their favor. So Coach Ferris yelled back, well, you don't sound too discouraged about it, and you don't sound upset. And the kid goes, I ain't upset. We ain't been up to bat yet. (laughs) We ain't been up to bat yet. Christ will get the victory. Amen.
part with the blessing of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.